Welcome to episode 154 of A Pint with Shawnee B. 154 days into lockdown or something like that. At least it feels that way. Um, don't know how much we're going to spend talking about COVID because other things are starting to happen around us. I have with the Don with me as ever and in the flesh, not by uh, Zoomy Zoom. How are you? I am fucking disgusted, Shawnee. We'll get to, we'll get to that. As ever, this is uh, the Don's Top 20 Countdown. She will be unveiling number 11 uh, in the list later. And you can scroll forward about 30 minutes to the start of that. But what have we got to say for you, to say for ourselves today? Shithole country. Shithole country. Okay, so I don't know how best to uh, handle this podcast. Uh, Those of you who may know me from uh, Facebook know that I have been on this hashtag shithole country thing which has probably pissed a lot of you off probably lost a lot of american friends or at least been blocked by them for it the shithole country term obviously stems from a comment made by donald trump early in his presidency that people from shithole countries should go back to their shithole countries and fix them without him perhaps realizing how shithole a country the united states of america is and is becoming we're recording this on the 29th of may a few days after the Ferrari in Minneapolis and Minnesota and the death of George murder of George murder Floyd of George Floyd by a police officer yet again the usual anti anyone who criticizes cops brigade have come out in force uh, there's been riots in the streets the mayor of Minnesota has been very forthcoming in saying that this cop needs to be arrested and here we go again this is all happening at a time when coronavirus is rampaging through the United States of America whilst many people are pretending it's gone away and going out and claiming their inalienable rights to congregate and tout guns while they're at it. And Donald Trump, as usual, is sitting on top of this shithole directing the traffic. Yeah. Is that a fair summary? I think that's a very generous summary of you. It's very kind of you. I realise you have more American friends than I do. I think anybody who's listened to us or is just a decent person will understand exactly how we feel about Donald Trump. But I have to make this point. It was a shithole long before he took the helm. It was a shithole long before then. It was built on racism and greed. And it's like, I don't want to hurt decent Americans. But at the same time, the point has come that delusion needs to be removed There seems to be this idea in America, and a lot of America, that Donald Trump is an embarrassment and it's on their great nation. I'm just going to have to paint a picture. Nobody thought it was a fucking great nation. Everybody thinks it's a great nation up until about the age of 12 because they see it on TV. And then they realise what kind of a country it is. They realise how racist it is. They realise these people are deluded into thinking that they somehow have a right. They're somehow entitled to own machines that are designed to kill other humans because their fucking constitution says so. It's a, it's a country where greed is rewarded. I mean, lots of countries are, but particularly the States, where they send kids, essentially kids, off to war to ruin other countries. Greedy wars to just keep the wheels turning. Healthcare is some sort of luxury. Education is a luxury. I'm not really quite sure what it is they're so proud of. And they still have the fucking brass neck to celebrate Thanksgiving every year, as if they shouldn't be hanging their heads in shame. Mm. So... Most decent Americans, the embarrassment that you feel over Donald Trump, the general image that he portrays, the things that he says, 
I think you need to understand that that's the way the rest of the world has been viewing you for a long time. He is just the personification of it. What's really, what do you say, boiling my piss at the moment is the inaction from my friends. Now, I know a lot of my friends are hate the fact that I do this the shithole country posting on Facebook. Good. I'm sure I've been blocked by a lot of them. They think it's childish. Uh, they don't believe it. But they all probably understand that Donald Trump is a bad actor in all of this and he is someone that they are mortified about. I wrote this post on the 27th of May, so two days ago. Politeness. With only five months to go to the US election, I'm astonished at the social media silence of the vast majority of my American friends who I know are mortified at the behaviour of their president. The social media that Trump now wants to censor to his message is great for holiday snaps and photos of your pets, food and spawn, but it is also a tool that can galvanise movements and affect change. Many may think it's rude to talk politics, Many may feel that railing against what is happening in the US right now might reflect badly on them from a career point of view. Many might even be secret Trump supporters, happy that the person in charge is all about greed and protecting the interests of the better off. But one thing's for sure, your silence is deafening, your inaction complicit. You will not get Trump out of the White House by simply wishing it so. Right now, the cackling of the lunatics is all we hear and the country is sleepwalking its way to four more years. Whether you are Democrat or Republican, it is time to start using your social media to speak up and raise cane, to be a brave activist, and start playing an active and vociferous role in the future you wish for your country. Trump is not only a danger to the USA, he is a danger to our entire planet. Not one of my American friends, and you know, I'm not here trying to gather thumbs ups and likes, not one of them engaged in that post. And it's not hashtag not all American friends. There, there are a few who are doing stuff. But there is this general malaise and laziness or apathy or ambivalence. I don't know what the word is. Permeating the entire bloody country. Intelligent people refusing to do anything to stand up and stop this. It's disgusting. And I have to say, I think there seems to be more cowardice in the US. But I mean, I see it amongst people that we socialise with. Much as your shithole country thing gets up people's noses, I am the epitome of what a certain group of people decide. I'm childish. Uh, I just need to grow up. Childish can be no. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm childish. I just need to grow up and stop shouting about things. And your yeah, politics are great, but you know, don't bring them to the dinner table. And I just think that is the most disgusting privilege. Mm. It's I'll say the right things because. And let's be honest, those kind of people say the right things because they don't want to be looked down on as rednecks or gurriers or scum because you don't you look uneducated if you're going to say, if you're going to overtly say racist things or if you're going to be hateful. But if you're sitting there enjoying your privilege and tutting, and I, I find the, the cowardice to be absolutely disgusting, the lack of integrity where people are not standing up and not making noise. But the worst part is the arrogance when activists and people that are loud and noisy and make trouble the absolute arrogance of looking down their nose as though those of us who are shouting for whatever it is we're shouting for are just somehow not mature enough we just haven't learned and i just think where is your integrity when is it enough i mean this week we had amy cooper a white woman calling cops on a black man and you can see a video where 
she continually threatens him and says, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to tell them an African-American man man is threatening me. And then she gets on the phone. She starts crying her white woman tears. The voice starts quivering and completely fake. Like a small child saying, I'm telling mommy and daddy and putting on the tears. And she knows she is threatening this man with his life. And then we have what happened to George Floyd, where they hold their knee on his neck as he squeals and begs and calls out for his mother, who's two years dead. He says he can't breathe. And people beg for his life on his behalf. And they just sit there smug and say, don't do drugs, kids. When is it enough? When is it a good enough? When are you going to stand up? I, I really don't care how important your job is. When is it going to be enough? What will you stand up for? Because I just, I can't grasp how disgusting a person you have to be to know better and to stay quiet and to somehow look down your nose at people for making noise. There was also the Rancho Cordova police officer from Sacramento treating a 14-year-old like he was fucking Mike Tyson. Oh, God. The size of that child. Yeah. So, like, Steve Walls, who was a former guest on this show, said in a post today that this is what... Because a lot of my friends are saying in America, we're doing everything in our power. We're doing everything possible to get rid of this guy. And, And Steve Walls said, Hong Kong is the way to look at this. That sort of level... And by the way, this Hong Kong thing is not just this year. It's going. It's been going on for twenty years. When I was working out there, I met Martin Lee, who was one of the one of the leaders of the of the Hong Kong. What I can't remember the name of the party, but amazing man. Um, they, these guys knew this day was coming when China was going to literally come through Hong Kong with tanks, and it's starting to happen. They just launched sedition laws um, now in Beijing. So. This is what it looks like. This is what, and you know, you're an activist. But like this I, horse shit of we're doing everything we can. Now, in fairness, there are some people who yeah. are actually writing letters that are yeah. they are engaging in activism, not yeah. just hand wringing and throwing the odd post up on Facebook and saying, oh, isn't it dreadful at a dinner party? That's horse shit because silence is complicity. That we're doing everything we can. You're not embarrassing yourself. That's, we'll do everything we can. We won't embarrass ourselves, though, by, you know, we won't let ourselves down. We won't stick our neck out. So how much is everything? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that there are huge numbers of wealthy, upper middle class Americans who want Donald Trump in power. Yeah, I, I would say an awful lot of people don't want to be seen to be. Uh, and I would compare that to Irish politics as well. There's this thing that I kind of, I sense... Upper middle class people would never be caught dead saying racist shit. You just yeah. don't say it. Not because they necessarily think it, not because they have better values. Mm. It, like you're more likely to hear it in a council estate than you will hear it in an upper middle class neighborhood. I don't think they have better values. I just think they just don't want to look like scangers mm. or rednecks if you put it in an American context. That's not everybody. I'm not suggesting that everybody who's not saying it is actually thinking it. I don't believe the weak virtue signaling as in I don't want to let myself down I'll say the right thing in the right company but I won't stick my neck out and say it where it matters and what's really important and look the Black Lives Matter thing at the moment uh, Trump I think it's a bigger deal but certainly when I when I compare it to repeal here there was guts and there was courage because mm. we were a load of young ones in black jumpers like it's not nice to have your face appear on repeal watch and have people find out your address threaten your kids call you a baby murderer like, we have to go through so much shit. It's all shits and giggles now, but a couple of years ago, it was not shits and giggles for women to be telling their stories, their traumatic stories about abortion. And to be... I, I experienced the heckling and the threatening when you when you spoke out. But we had the courage to do it. But people can't get can't speak out about 
Donald Trump. Not, yeah. not in any meaningful way. Can't speak out about Black Lives Matter. They just kind of throw the uh, love heart on something on Facebook. And I just think it's just the weakest cowardice. When you speak out, your voice matters because it tells other people that this shit will not stand. And in a circle of 10 friends, if two people feel really strongly about it and they speak out, another four people might think, yeah, they're right, we're just a bit cowardly. But when they all speak out, then you've got another four people left. And of those four people, another two might go, no, fuck it, I'm, I'm and oppose it. But another two who would have been weak will realise, hang on, this shit won't go. They may have unsavory views they may be racist they may have all of those things but if they realize actually this is no longer acceptable in society we will be shamed for this because most people are sheep we will be shamed for this this is no longer acceptable then people will row in so you have particularly if you're a person of influence and power but even if you're not you have a responsibility it's not just shouting into the wind it actually does make a difference yeah. when people realize i will be shamed for this i will not be accepted in civilized company if this is how i behave if this is how i vote people will question me and the idea that politics isn't you know you shouldn't fall out over politics what the fuck should you fall out over mm. because like what should your friends be based on we like the same tv shows politics is how you believe that people should be treated politics is whether you think that whether you think every person matters whether you think racism is wrong whether you think that children deserve to eat that's what politics is so this fucking idea that we shouldn't fall out over politics is disgusting mm. and it's just cowardice not to use your voice it's no different to when you're in the playground and one kid is getting picked on being left out and you sit back and you go it's not fair but i'm not going to say anything well why the fuck not mm. I've lived in New York, Boston, Denver. I spent quite a bit of time in Atlanta and Florida and California. And two things just to talk about there. One is the, the racism. The racism is endemic. It's unspoken. And a lot of it, Irish Americans, massive. Oh, they're the racist. worst. Sorry, I have, to, I have to say this straight out, right? Now, I mean, it's a tar and everybody with one brush. But to be quite clear, generally, Americans are not popular around the world. If they're black Americans, generally, they're sound. But certainly, like Irish people, the worst kind of American are the fucking Irish Americans. Not just because it's irritating because they do the whole, my great aunt, sorry. Not just that. That's irritating. But generally because the Irish Americans, politically speaking, what they stand for, they're not the ones we'd particularly flock to. Like, they're the worst kind. They're the fucking cops. But I mean, I remember being in Georgia and in Texas, and there's just this, no one will ever say it, but you know it's there. And Boston as well, yeah. Massachusetts. But it's full of Irish Americans. Yeah, what I know. Do you and you're kind of going. You can feel it, and if you're, and I, I had some black mates, and I used to talk to them about this, and they're like going, "Oh, the honky finally hears, or feels it, because because it's there, and when you see it, you can't unsee it. You can feel it, and you can go. You know, I've seen friends of mine in cars with a, a black Uber driver. You know, this guy's a few years older than me. He's Irish, just bagging the guy. With, with his wife and, you know, and me in the back because he was like and, and he would oh, go he'd be the first to say oh I don't have a racist bone in my body and the oh he's got black he, friends yeah. <laughs> no he was just really really mean to this Uber driver and I knew what did you he, do about it in the back I called him out and I said that you were being a fucking and his wife called him out that's the point and, but like he would come out of the car go I'm not racist and I know if he was in the car with a white driver he would never have said a thing he said same in Texas it's a very gungy place and it's very right-wing evangelical Christians who, by the way, have been very quiet recently on the whole coronavirus and uh, helping out there. Maybe another story. And so you see it everywhere and it's there. But the, the thing I'm trying to get to is the other thing that you said, which is this fear of talking truth to power. 
his fear of standing up, as you said, putting on a black jersey, forming a coalition. You did that from your house as a single mother. You times 100,000 and affected change in a country. These people are more concerned and I'm, they know who they are and I'm going to start calling them out. I'm not going to mention names, but they know who they are. My American friends who are very smart, who can do advertising campaigns and get things going viral, refusing to use their social media to push an agenda that says this guy has got to be taken out of the White House in a coffin or by the ballot box, one or the other. Maybe he will catch coronavirus. He's an old man. But they're refusing to do it and their silence is deafening and their lack of action is complicit. I I actually find that more disgusting than people whose views really are that low, who are ignorant. People who fucking know better. (laughs) And, and have all the power and choose to do nothing. Why? What is so important about you? Is it your job? What What is so important? And I mean, I'm not, I'm not fucking perfect, but I, I was a child who fucking, I was bullied all the time. But at the same time, if somebody's being picked on, don't fucking sit with the mean girls and say nothing. Yeah. Just like, it's not that big. Children can teach you how to do it. What company is so special that you want to sit in it and you don't want to isolate your family? If that's what people think, if they don't like what you have to say, well then fuck them. Choose your fucking side. Mm. Like get off the fence because you've got splinters on your arse and it's not attractive. There was all these sort of memories coming back to me of my time in America. I can't believe I spent eight years there. But, I know. You know, I remember there are, there are people in business there who will go, yeah, Sean Boy, he was an absolute fucking prick because he was always banging on about something or he was always giving out about something or he was always negative. Just even in the ad business, there's just this horrific politic that, plays with usually accountants and account executives and account managers that's just insidious like it's it, 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 it's rats spineless. in a cage and it's and you're a problem for not going along with this you're a problem for speaking out I mean I never got fired by a client I got fired by agency people who were in on the game refusing to change it refusing to have the balls to stand up and say this is not fair and by the way this is not how you practically run an ad agency run an ad agency where people are happy and create allowed to express their creativity and it's not just one company i went to a few all the same people protecting their jobs protecting their little fucking piece and you're starting to feel that now yeah but i mean it's just it comes down to spinelessness and it comes down to i don't give a shit i don't care enough if if you were a minority you're somebody who's being hurt by politics you'd fucking speak up like and i keep watching these videos of kids being brutalised by cops and I go I have a seven year old son and if he was black and if he was in America I would be terrified but on top of that I have the kind of seven year old who I know for an absolute fact would be the poor fucker that got shot because he wouldn't know how to read people's faces he wouldn't react correctly under pressure he'd say the wrong thing he wouldn't know when it's not going down well he, he, he would be exactly the kid that would be shot and I just I don't understand the lack of empathy it's, I'm all right, Jack. I'm grand. Well, we had David Richardson. You picked out as a uh, um, about three or four episodes back as one of your top twenty. Dave Richardson would probably be one of the kindest activists that I know. Like he's, you know, he's a black guy, and he, I think he was twelve or fourteen. He had guns pulled on him in a holiday inn somewhere in Texas, and he was just going for a swim with his granny. And you know, you you've people like him who really, but they're they're kind of they're almost like pleading with the whites to start paying attention here and. You know, I, I kind of, it just, it's it, it's it's despairing in a sense that, you know, they're not all 
cops issue is true. I know cops who said to me, the issue here is guns. Every time they get a call out somewhere, there's someone with a gun, right? People are scared. Get it. But you can't look at that guy with his head on your man's face or the guy from about three years ago who was a big, big guy who got couldn't breathe either. And he, he lost his life. The gun thing is, is they're, they're sitting in the streets in coronavirus, banging their guns into the sky, saying this is our freedom of... Like there's, I, like, that is stupid. Of all the things that I despise most about America, it is the gun culture. I find the arrogance, the idea that you should think that you... Because your fucking constitution says so. How dare you think that you deserve to own a machine designed to kill another Well, person? no, so the issue I was saying... But that is, is not what no, happened. No, no. The issue is with guns that you have a trigger-happy, scared police force okay this is actually true and there are cops i would hope 90 percent are decent whatever but if you're going to well the don looking at me with a raised eyebrow there (laughs) all cats are beautiful no no i'm I'm not saying this i'm saying if you and i were cops like dempsey and make peace um and we were in dublin and dublin was awash with guns there's a very different demeanour to a Canadian. Like, do you remember in Canada and Toronto, there was a guy who was gone mad, terror, Islamic terrorist, and one cop pulled up in the car, no gun, just sort of bet him off the head with his truncheon and kind of arrested him. That guy is dead in America because he's going to reach for a piece. Canada kind of got out of And there's loads of guns in Canada, but like, and by the way, this is not me making an excuse for what we're seeing, but we have a country that has got something like 350 million guns in the country one for everyone in the audience and what you have to do is take guns off the street take guns off criminals and I mean like this will get better I fucking despise guns I find it despicable that people think that they have a right to like it's just the amendment thing I just shut the fuck up Mm. how dare you think that your constitution is somehow more important than just humanity Mm. but also like having guns how many suicides how many attempted suicides would be suicide if there was a magic button you could push where you die? How many responsible gun, gun owners take their sons shooting and then bang, bang, bang? Yeah. Guess what fucking happens? But I stood my gun away safely. Yeah, but you taught your That's kid. That's just uh, Dick Cheney. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's just, what could we do? What could we do? Maybe add more guns. Stop with the guns. Nowhere else. Acts like this. It's fucking bizarre. We were having a, I remember it, it recalls a, a meeting, a dinner we had in, uh, I can't remember what state we were in, but we were having a, a, an internal meeting with a company called Brain Juice that I used to work for. And there was about 12 of us around the table and there was a guy from Texas and he had, he was a big gun owner. He had a lot of, about 18 guns in his arsenal and he was a great believer in the right to bear arms and all this kind of stuff. And we were having this discussion around the table and there was, you know, a British guy there, a couple of American girls and, you know, there were no clients there. Not, not that that should matter, by the way. We're having dinner. We should be able to talk politics or anything. And the conversation went round to, I think there had been another school shooting and he was defending. He, so he said, just like this, he said, well, you know, you take away the guns, a guy could walk into a school with a baseball bat and do just as much damage, right? Now, I... Went for him. How on fucking kicked do you have to be? In the same way that I go for a friend of mine in a conversation. I said, have you just heard what you have said there? What, because the kid's heads are so soft and he, he's got a baseball bat. Like, it's like a guy with a hurley stick going into your kid's school. How long, you know. Do you know what's funny though? But we don't just, have What happened years. at the dinner table was me and him got into it and everyone else at the table. And these are senior people. 
shrank back. Oh, of course they did. And guess who was the problem child at the table? You. I was. Not the fucker because, suggesting yeah. that and you know who, schools the, are bad. To be fair, the, the, the funny part of this story is the guy who stood up for me, because I was there was nearly a kind of a come before the fucking HR over this, because we, we ended up having a bit of a ding-dong. It was kind of, we, we, we cheers at the end and said we'd beg to differ, but it got reported back, oh, your man and your man had a big, right? and what if he did this with clients from Texas? There, right? He was the guy actually who said, no, there was nothing wrong with that. We were having a fucking debate, and it was a debate. I end up possibly getting fired at a brain juicer, partly for that. And so business is complicit in all yeah, this. Yeah. And, and, and meetings and HR and everything. So what they're trying to say is don't fucking say anything that's outside the, what, what would you say, the capitalist standard way of looking yeah. at life. But it comes down to greed is more important. Because if you tamp down those conversations, yeah, but the main thing is it didn't fuck with your business. Oh, well, great. I mean, don't mind all the kids getting shot. Quite simply, do you think we don't have nut cases that have had a really fucking tough time at school we have a lot of shit there are schools all over dublin where some young fella 13 or 14 is having severe psychiatric issues has been bullied all his life arrives in with a flick knife or a switchblade the guards get called a chat is had we get a little bit of help he didn't come in with a gun though mm. like that that that's it's not rare that it happens there it's just that people don't die in this case no one gets hurt people don't even get stabbed mm. it gets sorted out Such a limerick like I am no fa- I am no fan of the guards like the Irish police or the guard I am no great fan of them but we have a very different system here like we're not fucking afraid of the guards the no. guards like you get even when you're 13 or 14 but the guards but, aren't afraid of us and we're not no. afraid of the guards and that's the way it should be but it's policing by consent and we also understand what the guards job is yeah and what we can do to n- nyardy, one guarda two, two nyardy. Nyardy. yeah but um, Garda Kona means guardians of the peace. Guardians of the peace, there you that go. Is, that is what they do. None of them are armed. The odd, like, high-level detective yeah. dealing with drugs and stuff like that, and the drug squad. The rest of them, all the other guards, they, they're not fucking armed. Well, and Dublin is also, and, not, and Ireland is, like, I don't know how they do it, I'd love to know the logistics, but if there is a sort of a armed raid in the middle of town, by Christ, within two minutes, there's a whole bunch of armed, armed cops yeah, ready but like and waiting it's, in their cars. It's cars. very rare. Like yeah. Most cops, like, police are not armed here. There's no fucking need. Mm. And you know what? The world hasn't fucking fallen apart. And there are guns here. There, There is crime. There are, you know, gangs shooting each other. Mm. And to be honest with you, we don't have the same bootlicker shit here. Like, a, a little bit through the coronavirus, which I found a bit uncomfortable. I know the guards did a good job. I didn't like any shit they got from right-wing extremists. But I found it a little bit uncomfortable with the thanks guard, thank you very much guard, yes guard, no guard, three about purely because it just reminds me of the thank you for your service bollocks in America. Mm. And there's a reason, like, we don't worship guards. If the guards are on the street, you mosey on up how you guard, do you know how to find such and such a place? You might have banter, you may in fact sag the guard and he might be a bit of a prick and tell you where to go and off you go. Nobody's afraid of giving cheek to a guard. I mean, you won't be a prick anyway. Like, if a guard pulls me over and I'm breathalyzed, I'll say thank you because I would like not to end up with a drunk driver killing me and my kids at some point. Mm. But if he's rude about it, I'll tell him where to go. Mm. And I'm not afraid to. I'll tell him, fuck you, there's no need to be like that. And off I drive. So let's just take that on. I'm being rude to Americans at the moment with my shithole country post. Good. I was being rude to a guy who was a big gun advocate in Texas, wherever that meeting, we, wherever that dinner was, and he was in Atlanta. America under Trump is becoming more and more insular. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of why people are taking this shit. And I, people will go, we're not taking it. Lots of us are doing those things. But like, there's a general vibe 
in the world that it's all going to be okay and Joe Biden will get elected and that'll be fine. That may not happen. At the moment, Donald Trump is favourite to win again and it's five months to go. Mm. So this insularity, this cutting down the drawbridges, make America great again, fuck China, fuck Russia, well, maybe not, maybe embrace Russia, I don't know, fuck Europe. This thing... The, the insularity, right, it doesn't just come from that. It comes from... I'm sorry, I know there are lots of very intelligent, well-educated people in America, but in general, your education system is a shit show. Mm. Like, Americans are known for being thick all over the world. And I know I'm having a go at Americans. I have lots of American friends. God, it sounds like I'm saying I've got black friends. But, I mean, it's it, it's not all I'm Americans. Asking. However, in general, not a great reputation, not just because of what your country stands for and political behaviour, but just in general, not the most educated people, even those who have degrees. Yeah, I know, but they still be thick as shit at the dinner table. The, the general, the insular thing is, I'm sorry, do you realise there are other countries? Do you know anything about other countries? Do you Have you learned anything about world history and world history is not california to new york do you know how other countries operate do you understand their political systems because that's kind of fucking normal everywhere else in the world if you're an educated person you know we follow american politics we follow british politics they're different to how irish politics work like you might be a bit weak on other countries but you try and figure out you know which countries are democracies you know which ones refer to them as prime ministers like there just doesn't seem to be any awareness of that so the insular thing Yes, it's made worse by Trump. And I also think Trump is just the personification of everything wrong with America and also the really shitty image that America's had that I think most Americans seem to be completely unaware of. And that now they're like, oh God, we're so embarrassed when we go abroad. Donald Trump, that's not what we're all like. And you're going to go... They were always embarrassed. We were always... We were, like, if you were on a cruise, I was thinking this the other day, if you're on a cruise and you come down and you're, you're going to be sat at a table and you go, now there's a seat at either table, there's a nice couple from... Uh, somewhere in America and there's a nice Canadian couple you don't ask oh how old are they have they kids you don't ask any of that shit you go we'll take the Canadian thanks yeah. or anywhere else for a that matter if it's, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again yeah. you'll take people with who if for, for whom English is not their first language yeah. as an English speaker you won't take the fucking Yanks because you're taking your chances like if my daughter came home and she'd been away for the year and she'd met somebody, she goes, oh, I've met a guy. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah, he's a dentist. He's a dentist, that's great. He's American. Oh, <laughs> right. So all of our American bashing is because most of the people in America are being, we are being deafened by your silence. There is a Twitter handle at Shawnee B if you want to come at me on this. But we are trying to anger you into action. The world is, not just us two on our silly podcast. Your country is falling apart at the seams. It's like a clown car. The world is looking and laughing at you. And just to finish, you must get up off your arse and be brave enough to speak up and do something about this, rather than just hoping that if you vote for Biden in November, then everything will miraculously go away and be okay. But this isn't American hatred. This is, this is not hating Americans. It is absolutely shaming America. Shaming. We are shaming you into action. Fucking do something. If that's not who you are, if you're if you're ashamed, good. You should be embarrassed. Do something. Stand behind the people who are hurting most. Stand behind the black community. Stick up for the pe- the activists, and there are so many fantastic activists. But stand behind them. If you're in advertising, get fucking behind them. Grow a pair, grow a spine, and get behind them. If you're embarrassed, good. You should be. Do something. And we won't bother talking about coronavirus because we've already spoken about that at length. But 
you're all there as well with your I do me and you do you and we look out for it and this is what we think and there's so much different information and the hospitals are full and there's lots of child abuse and lots of yeah there is but there's also fucking coronavirus and you're not supposed to catch it and the science is pretty clear so stop pretending that by wishing it to go away it'll go away it's exactly the same as Donald Trump by the way that's absolute whataboutry because the people who throw out that shit didn't give a fuck about the children being abused at home two months ago. Didn't give a fuck about yeah. people who are on lower income and it's really a struggle for them. This horse shit of, you know, some people are, are, are really poor and this is really hurting them. Like, minority businesses. You didn't give a fuck about them two months ago, so stop hiding behind that shit. Anyway, America, get your shit together. Uh, we are here also to launch number 11 in the Don's Top 20 countdown. As ever, she asks me three questions to see if I can recognise who the guest she has chosen is. And I don't know. I suspect it may not come as a massive surprise to you the day that's in it. With presidential, this is a quote, with presidential candidates like Trump running, people feel more comfortable exposing their racist selves. Uh, hmm. Okay, so the clue there is that it was before he got elected. Could that be? Uh, I think I might. This might be the first time I get one on the first bounce. I'm going to go with Cheryl Sharp. Correct. And yes. I would have been shocked if you didn't get that because you should know me well enough at this point to know yeah, that I was definitely going to pick somebody. You come with a theme. I come with a theme. At this point, I wasn't going to have this rant and not back it up, but I find this to be a very poignant discussion. I, I also find it interesting that it's a couple of years ago and it's almost like Black Lives Matter was, oh yeah, that thing that happened back then. This, and was, now 2000, this was probably around January, February, maybe 2016 when I met Cheryl. So now it's happening again. There was talk at the time that, you know, it... it Trump was emboldening people. Not that racism wasn't there, but he was emboldening this awful, horrible side to America. And so now we have him towards the end of his term. He has just outdone all of our expectations. I just, I don't, I don't know any of us thought he could have done such an awful job. And everything that was worried about him is considered hyperbole. <laughs> like if we could just get into a time machine and show some tweets and play some footage. So I find it an interesting conversation to have now, but particularly because the Black Lives Matter thing seemed to have kind of gone away in people's psyche and it's coming back now and I would say based on this week it's coming back and it's going to be much bigger than it was people around the world care a lot more so I find it a very interesting conversation and obviously um I also enjoy that she has schooled you somewhat <laughs> so she was she is the uh she's a lawyer attorney with um in Connecticut I think the state yeah. of Connecticut commission on human rights and opportunities yeah I mean I think I really frustrated her she she kind of played along I was kind of being dope on purpose because I wanted to kind of just push the sort of cliche buttons and she was by the end of it she was like why did you put me through there but um, I was deliberately kind of doing that I come across as a bit of a messer and I'm, I'm deliberately kind of mucking about she's it she's very reserved fair play to including but she's a she's a person who respects other people she was respecting me but she's a really smart woman and also I think her story is amazing that she came from she really applied herself and she had this vision that she was going to do something to change. I don't know. I, hi, Cheryl, if you're listening. I don't know what you're thinking right now, you know, four years later. I would um, just like to say, hi, Cheryl, I don't know you. But when I was talking about Americans, I didn't mean you. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> the ones that aren't like you. Yeah, of course. I think the Americans who, who are listening to this who, who know exactly who we're talking Listen, about. Listen, if, if you're offended, it's probably you I'm talking about. If you're not offended, it's not you. Um. She she believes in things like, you know, she she's a very very anti the N word, doesn't even believe that black rappers should be using it, which I kind of like have sympathy with. 
but we talk about exactly what's going on right now. So it was very well chosen. The release date of this was in March of 2016, I think. And Cheryl Sharp is a woman at the front of trying to make America better again. And I just, I worry about how she might be even thinking four years later. Thank you very much, Cheryl Sharp, for being on a pint with Shawnee B. And I think, uh, as the Don has said, this is a perfect time for us to re-listen to your views and opinions on your own country. Until next time, I give you attorney Cheryl Sharp. Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Today coming to you from Cheshire in the great state of Connecticut. And I'm here in the home of a very special guest, attorney Cheryl Sharp, who is the deputy director of the State of Connecticut Commission on Human Rights. And we're going to be talking a lot about her journey and how she's become one of the foremost lawyers in the state and somebody who is in the heart of some of the storms that are currently plaguing America, particularly in the area of human rights and civil rights. Welcome, Cheryl Sharp. Thank you, and I'm glad to be here today. The, the first question I have, I wanted to get a handle on the difference between human rights and civil rights. So maybe start there. Okay, so let's start with the human rights that you have are the rights that we have by virtue of just being a human being on the earth versus civil rights, which are laws that we make. And so our, a civil right would be uh, you have a right to not be discriminated against in employment, housing, credit transactions, in places of public accommodation. A human right would be you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness right. by, by virtue of being a, a human being on this earth. So shelter, food. Yes. Tell me about what exactly you do day to day. Okay, so every day is different. As an attorney, I prosecute claims of discrimination in the Superior Court and the Connecticut Supreme Court. I'm barred also in the federal court. I also negotiate settlements between parties. One party claims that they were the victim of illegal discrimination. The other party who's being sued claims most of the time that they did nothing wrong. Right. Um, although I had a really interesting case where I received a verified answer. The answer said, admit, admit, admit to all of this discrimination in the use of the racial slur, the N-word. And so I was shocked. I was like, wow, this employer has totally admitted to repeatedly using the N-word. And his justification was that, well, people of color use the word, so why can't he use the word right. in reference to his employee? Um, wow. He didn't mean it in the way that Color the employee was it. taking it. The the uh, employee was, you know, very offended, yeah. uh, but he had to take care of his family. So for a long time, he didn't say anything. He just, you know, kind of took it, and and then it just became too much. And he finally said, "This is not right." And I am not the N-word. I'm a man, and I want to be respected, and I do a good job here. And it just went downhill from there for him. What the law says is that in a place of employment, you cannot treat someone differently because of their protected class status. Right. And your next question may be, what is a protected class? It is a, a trait that we have that's immutable. It's who we are right. as, as people, a man, a woman, black, white, 
in the state of Connecticut, we have really progressive laws. So there are 26 protected classes, Mm. you know, so disability and learning disability and physical disability and mental disability are all covered. Sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and the list goes on and on. How so? Just focusing in maybe a bit on the race issue here in America, and, and and do you think that it's getting better or getting worse? I think that with presidential candidates like Trump running, I think that people feel more comfortable exposing their racist selves. There's a platform for them to express that hate now. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. The use of the N-word, I don't condone it. I think that it's harmful because of the history of the word and Mm. its usage. So do you not not condone it for use amongst African Americans either? No, because it is not a term of endearment. But what about the the argument that says, and I, I would differ with you on this, the argument that says it's a word and it's about how the word is used. Uh, and in what context it's used. A lot of the usage of the word amongst African-Americans and even friends of African-Americans is, you know, it's like me calling somebody a C-word or me calling someone, or p- someone calling me a mick or a paddy, which is quite derogatory to Irish people if it's coming and meant in the way that that word can be used derogatorily. Also, a friend of mine who's American could call me and like, I wouldn't have a problem because I know he's or she's not that kind of person. Your argument, I think, is that... It, it's still propagating that its existence, the word's existence should be removed. Yes, the word needs to be buried. It yeah. shouldn't be in use. It right. has negative connotation. There's a generation of people who want to redefine the use of the word and redefine yeah. the term. But it's a racist word and it was used in that manner to degrade Yes, yeah, no, I agree with people all that, of, of African descent. So I cringe every time I hear a young person Use the N-word. I cringe every time I hear it in a uh, rap song. I can tell you, I went to Iceland um, because my youngest brother lives in Iceland. And I went out to uh, listen to some music with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, this individual who was white was singing. He was actually singing one of Tupac's songs. So he kept saying the N-word over and over again. And I was horrified. And I had a discussion with my brother afterwards. And he was telling me he's like that n-word doesn't mean the same thing in this country because they don't have that history of slavery and the way that the word is being used just to sing tupac's song because tupac said it they think that that's okay here well i mean tupac don't forget tupac put those lyrics into his song and someone's doing a cover version of his song so yes it would be also extremely weird to to do a cover version of tupac's song with the word not in there right (laughs) It makes it a difficult situation to do a cover and not use the word. However, I, I just believe the use of the word is very destructive for mm. the African-American community mm. and for all other communities. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I have worked in the Northeast in, in New York and Boston, and I've also lived in Denver and I've lived in, in Texas. Texas probably being the epicenter of racism. And one of the things I noticed was the difference between racism in the south and in the north is in the south it's very on the surface you can see it you can hear it and it's overt but i also find that new york is extremely racist and i find that boston is extreme race and i find that my point is i think they're thinking it they're just not saying it yes and and that's very it's a very sad place to be yes and and i agree because it is covert in the north and it's overt 
in the South. So the, the question is whether which one is more palatable or is neither one palatable? For me, neither one is pa- yes, I palatable agree, yeah, yeah. because I believe in equality, injustice anywhere threatens justice everywhere, yeah. to quote Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. So we have to be careful as a society when we look at these issues and when we delve deeper into them. How we define it is important. How we address it is equally important. Words matter. Right now, there's just controversy. Black lives matter versus all lives matter. Mm. There's a movement, a Black Lives Matter movement. The counter movement says, no, all lives matter. Let's not just focus on black lives. And I think when people say black lives matter, that they're not saying that all lives matter have no value. They're saying right now we need to focus on black lives because they're being taken at an alarming rate. Yeah, there's something sinister with the all lives matter angle. Yeah, we know all lives matter, but right now the problem is in this area. So let's kind of focus here. And by the way, if we fix this, probably the other one will fix as well. It's like a, a Venn diagram, you know. Your listeners uh, listening will will be maybe surprised to know or interested to know that uh, Cheryl is a a relative of a very famous, probably one of the most famous civil rights people in America, which is Rosa Parks. How do you feel she would see today, given her stand that she took all those years ago on the bus? Would she be happy or would she feel there's still a huge way to go? I think that she would feel that we have a long way to go. Throughout my life, I had the pleasure of being in her company maybe only three times at family reunions because we're related to her through marriage. What was she like? She was mild-mannered, quiet, sweet, nice, comforting. Am I right in saying that this she had a stand quiet- she took was a spur-of-the-moment thing? It wasn't, Or was it something that she had planned to do? Or how, how did she... You know, that's an interesting question because my mother asked her (laughs) what happened that day. She had a quiet strength and she stood up for what she believed in. At that time, though, it wasn't like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go on that bus and I'm not. Yes. No, it was was impromptu. Yeah. Which which is how a lot of great things happen. Absolutely right. (laughs) People get weary and and get tired of being treated discriminatorily and, and then they address it. It's been an interesting journey for me because I haven't reached the pinnacle of my career yet because I want to have that type of impact on the civil rights community and on the state of Connecticut and potentially on the nation. What about the cop thing? This cop thing that's happening, this kind of clear murder by police officers. Yes. You know, people say, oh, yeah, well, the police officers are jumpy and, you know, black people have guns and, and they never know if they're going to get get shot themselves. And, hey, look, another police officer got shot and it was a black guy who shot him. Tell me what you how you view all of that stuff because that's, a, that's a, something that's really erupted in the last two years. Um, I sit on the uh, racial profiling uh, working group for the state of Connecticut. And so we are looking at stop data based on uh, race and, and some other uh, factors. Um, so just to explain, stop that as a cop stopping a driver just because he's black or pulling up beside a black person walking down the street just because he's black, right? The yeah. stop data is how many stops were made. Is there a disproportionate stopping of individuals of color or individuals who are Muslim in comparison 
to the number of those individuals who would actually be driving through that particular town at any given time. Mm-hmm. You look at dusk to dawn, right. and then is there a variance between the, the stopping that's occurring during periods of time where you can't see who the um, who the person is? And so we look at all of that data and try to see if there are patterns. And are there patterns? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. And it is disheartening. You know, it's difficult because... You want cops to serve and protect, right? They're there for our public safety. But they have guns. And if you're a motorist and you get pulled over, there's an imbalance of power because if you don't have a gun and if you're not doing anything wrong and you're just a citizen, then it can be frightening. And then imagine if you're just pulled over because of the color of your skin or because you're a Muslim, because of your faith. It's a difficult interaction. But on the flip side, it's difficult for an officer could because they're putting their life on the line every single day and they are going to encounter some people who are criminals and some who are not and so i can understand that their heightened sense of urgency in 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 certain uh, situations but you don't want implicit bias to get in the way of making a split second decision that is the matter of life and death you don't want situations where a Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy, gets six seconds before yeah. he's shot and killed. And then, I can't remember the gentleman's name. This was the, the kid with a toy name. gun in his hand yes. in the playground. Yeah. And he had a toy gun in his mm. hand. And then you have the situation where you have uh, the individual who shot and killed nine individuals in a black church in South Carolina, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw pictures of him being taken to get food. So what happened there? What happened to the white man um, in Planned Parenthood? Why did he get so much more time? That that's the question that we have to ask ourselves as a nation. But then you look at the you look at the Michael Brown slaying or whatever way you want to describe it as. About two days later, and just down the road, this, there was a guy who was accused of an African American guy who was accused of stealing some beer from a, a corner store, and this other guy's walking down the street filming this guy waiting for the cops to arrive. And it's all caught on camera. And, and, you know, they're all waiting around. And the cop car pulls up. And the official thing was he came at them with a knife. But you can see he didn't have a knife. However, he did say, shoot me, shoot me. You know, he had his arms in the air. He was going, come on, shoot me. Because he was annoyed and he was, his blood was boiling. He was a crazy guy. There was no doubt he was, there was something wrong there. But I was talking with some of my Irish friends about this. If two Irish cops arrive in a cop car, they don't yeah. have a gun, Right. And they have to deal with crazy people shouting at the traffic, as we call it back home. And this guy, I think from the moment the car braked to him being dead was something like 34 seconds. And there were seven bullets put in him. And it was all caught on camera by a bystander. The point is, to me, that just shows a complete lack of uh, judgment in terms of saying, well, you know, we're going to meet crazy... Now, you know, the, the the cops might say, well, most of those guys who are robbing stores have a gun. And so we pull up and we see this crazy guy coming at us. I mean, they shot him from 20 feet away, more maybe. He was walking towards them. They did tell him to stop. He did say, shoot me. I thought that was going to spark the whole thing off because here we now had visual evidence of this happening. Right. Because the, the brown thing, at least, there was a he said, she said. It was like, did he, did he try and wrestle the gun off the off the detective? Yes. Did the detective get out and shoot him? Did he shoot him in the back? Was the guy coming towards him? You know, and then there was the atrocity of him and left out in the sun for three hours while his mother yes. and whatever. 
How do you, what do you think about that? I think when a child dies, a controversy is going to be sparked. Yeah. When a child dies at the hands of the police, yeah. eyebrows are raised, you have parents who are distraught and devastated, people's maternal and paternal instincts kick in. When you talk about a Trayvon Martin or you talk about a Michael Brown, those were children yeah. that had their lives snuffed out never got to realize their potential yeah. never got to do you think see another day how much of this might be because everybody walking around today has got a camera a video camera in their pocket i think that that has changed our awareness of what's going on i don't think that this is new you hope that racism isn't instinctual especially for those who have to make split second decisions that are life and death, which is what police officers have to do. They have to but make I think it is. split second, second decisions. I think it um, is because the cops will shoot a black person before they shoot a white person. That's instinctive. I mean, they will instinctively pull that trigger faster if there's a black person in front of them than if there's a white person. There's no doubt about that. Right. right? So we have to then address uh, implicit bias. Mm. And we have to look at fair and impartial policing. Mm. Because if you instinctually fear an individual before they do anything. And then you have this fear of a black person and then you encounter a black person in a difficult situation. Let's say that they have mental health issues Mm. or they're a kid and and, and they're just being, you know, aggressive like sometimes children are. No one expects their child to get into an argument with a cop and and then be shot and killed. I mean, where do you stand as 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 a... You know, an attorney on this whole gun thing. There needs that we have to have gun control. People need to look at the Constitution and the Second Amendment and uh, look at it in a historical context. It does say that we have the right to to bear arms. And the Second Amendment being an 18th century law that was actually put in with, I think, very honorable intent by the lawmakers to say, look, if we ever get out of control, if we ever start looking like we're becoming a dictatorship, if we're ever starting to take land off people, or it was an act designed to protect democracy rather than, yes. you know, which is not going to happen. Defend, it's not going to happen today. I mean, you know, yes. but I'm in Texas. You know, as I used to say about Texas, Texas is one tantrum away from secession and it can secede. It has it in its, in its articles that it can secede. But Texan people who have... 40 guns in their gun closet, a huge percentage of them believe, oh, no, this could happen. Yes. The government could take over and we're going to defend, like, I'm like, what, like the Alamo or something? They're going to come riding it. Like, what are you talking about? Black Hawk helicopters around your house? How do we stop that? How do we fix it? You have to restrict use. You have to make sure that individuals getting their license to bear arms are stable. It can't be easier to get a gun than to get a, a license to drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, Obama's come out with some amazing, amazingly evocative, tearful, angry rhetoric against what's happening every time, and he's sick and tired, as he says, of having to do this. Again, coming at it from an outsider looking into America. It's like we keep putting band aids on this. Like to yes. me, someone needs to be of sane mind. Is a band aid. For me, closing down the NRA is surgery. 
uh, having a, an amnesty for people to turn in guns, ha- allowing people to only have certain calibers of rifle at home or, or, or pistol or whatever it is as a yes. starting point, getting whatever there is, something like 350 million guns in America, maybe it's more, I can't remember, uh, uh, making that under uh, 50 million. Big, big moves like that. The patient needs to go to hospital and have a heart you know, lung and, and liver transplant. It doesn't need to to get stitches in its arm. You know, why can't there be another another amendment to the Constitution that changes... So think about the Constitution and how long we've had the Constitution yeah. and how few times it has been amended. It's yeah. not uh, an easy task um, right. to undertake. Yeah. And I, I don't know where America is on this yet. Well, I think it'd be tough. There's, there are pockets, yes. No, I I'm going to say there are pockets in this country where... Texas would secede. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, there's going to be a serious fall. But we have referenda in Ireland once every two years. We have referenda on uh, abortion. We have referenda on divorce. We have referenda on should we accept the latest European Union bailout. I mean, that's democracy. Democracy is, oops, the government don't know what they're doing. The government go, let's go and ask the people because that's who we're representing and we're not sure what the sentiment is. Have you ever been in a, either in a case or in a situation where you've almost just gone, this is just too hard? Some of the school cases uh, that I've prosecuted, I can't believe some of the pedagogy that people think is okay. Um, I had a a case against the uh, city of Hartford that's at public hearing because they took a group of 11-year-olds and did a reenactment of slavery and had the the kids running through the woods in the dark and told them to imagine that they'd never see their parents again and that their Achilles were going to be cut off and... Is this a Halloween thing? No, no. <laughs> this is this was supposed to teach them about bullying. What does that teach bullying. anybody anything? In accordance to their position, slavery was the worst form of bullying. Huh? And so those types of things... have been in the room when they... <laughs> hey, let's just brainstorm a few things for the kids this year. Right. Th- those are... Those are like, so, so what happens there? Does the school get a big fine against it? or This is one that's pending. It's okay. at public hearing, which is why I have uh, the freedom to, to talk about it. Right. That case will, if it goes to hearing, is going to be all over the news, right? Yes, it's already been in the newspaper. Um, To me, it just shocks the consciousness. I've always wanted to ask an attorney, how often do you get this disappointment of being involved in a case where you're on the losing side, but you know you're right? You you really know you're right. I've had a lot of success with with my cases. Um, But I I did have one that went to the Supreme Court, and that was a travesty of justice. Because what happened in this particular case... Do most lawyers who lose cases call them travesties of justice? I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) I've won a lot of uh, my cases, or most of That were travesties of justice. No, and they were not travesties of justice. But this was a travesty of justice. Right, what happened? Because this was a case, and it was about soils and foundations and bridges. Right? So there was this gentleman. He didn't have this engineering uh, license. He was an engineer. He had served as the supervisor in this department. He had covered when the supervisor was out. But when he went for the permanent position, he got denied the position. He was an Asian man. Mm -hmm. There were white men who also served in the position that he was trying to get. They didn't have the license, but they got the job. He didn't get the job. And what we look at in the law is, are they similarly situated? Yes. Yeah. Right? Because they're both engineers. Yeah. Do they have the license or they don't have the license? In this particular case, 
neither guy had the license. The white man, however, got the supervisory position. The right. Asian person did not get the supervisory position. Right. So there's a difference in treatment. So the question is, is that a difference in treatment attributable to discrimination or is it attributable to something else? Yeah. If you, on the one hand, say that you need the license and bridges will crash to the ground if you don't have this license because you won't deal with the soil right yeah. and you won't know if the soil can hold the bridge up and... Yeah, but they neither have the license. What happens if the Asian guy's got Tourette's or he sheds his head off and the other guy doesn't? I mean, you've got to come up with a reason to hire them. Right, but this is what I'm saying. How do you prove that the only reason the Asian wasn't hired was because he was Asian? This is an interesting point. It's kind of meant semi-humorously. But when I was hiring, I would discriminate in favor of hiring women against men. I would just, because I think men in the jobs that I was hiring for a strategic planning, they had the same qualifications. Mm-hmm. In some cases, they had more experience, but I found that women were more empathetic and they were uh, smarter and they understood how people take better, right? So that's discrimination. Of course what it is, against men. I know, yeah. Yes. But I won't get called up on that. In fact, if anything, people will go, oh, Sean's great because he, he, he doesn't mind hiring women. I think the girl has got better empathy, key part of the job. Not discrimination, better empathy, better understanding of what makes By people tick. By virtue of her as an individual or because of her gender? By, and I'm pigeonholing, but in a general sense of the word, I feel that women, not all women, and sometimes I've hired men over women, but usually in the jobs that I'm looking at, I find that women are far stronger candidates. And I, I, as I said, yeah, that, yeah well, I'm yes. glad you said yes. that because yes. again, there's this, there's this positive. Is it called? You I actually mean, you're diversifying your workforce, but you're doing it using discriminatory means to get there. You have this uh, idea already in your head that yeah. women are better. But where's that idea come from? I didn't just come up with it. It's come from 27 years experience, right, uh, across the world. And here's the problem. Using that same logic, if your idea that you had in your head from your experience mm. was that black people are inferior and they're not going to do as good of a job or they're mm. going to call out more, yeah. then you're not going to hire a black person. I hear you. I mean, you, you're the lawyer here. You can tie me up in knots. I've already gone to jail over this. <laughs> but I'm just so that's, saying, I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely yeah, yeah. unequivocally. I'm, but I, but I, I guess what I, I mean, I said it was slightly humorous. I so don't call the cops on me. But I'm just saying that <laughs> when we go back to the, the bridges and the soil and the Asian guy and the white guy, I mean, at some point in time, there's somebody who's doing the hiring. And you've got to look at temperament. Is this person going to be fun around the place? For example, what if it was two white guys? And one guy goes, oh, I didn't get the job because... I was a ginger. I had ginger hair. A lot of people I know who've got ginger hair feel they're really hard done by because girls don't go out with them as much as they, you know, they discriminate against. But you know what I mean? Where do, I'm, I'm so, kind of being facetious the, here. Here's the line. There are protected classes under the law. Ginger hair is not one of those protected classes. Well, I classes. think it should be. I'm <laughs> joking. I'm joking. As okay. an Irishman, I believe. <laughs> but if you use a protected class to make your decision and, and, and you're, you're using that protected class to deny someone an opportunity that is discrimination it comes down to looking at yourself in the mirror it comes down to you're either a racist or you're not a racist you're either a bigot or you're not a bigot and I find that having to tiptoe around and I'm going to use the word mores or political correctness or what you are and are not allowed to say in, in public often in my view stymies and restricts discourse and advancement of thinking.
you want to be able to stereotype with no consequences, it sounds. To no. Me. What you have described to me is stereotyping. Mm-hmm. You have a stereotype of how women are, how they're going to mm-hmm. be in a job. That's not every woman. No. Um, when every interview that you do, you have to consider them as individuals. Not as, oh, this woman is interviewing and this man is interviewing. You have a set of criteria, mm-hmm. right, that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You're looking for compassion. You're looking for whatever those criteria are. It shouldn't be, I'm looking for... I mean, the obvious one for me is to hire a transgender so. person, right? And then I'll be covering all angles. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I, I, look, I'm being, I'm being devil's advocate here. And yes. I, know, I know you're a lawyer and I'm not. And I'm tying myself up yeah. in not Trying to make here. me... Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm off <laughs> my neck is what's happening. All right, right look, one of the other things <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about is just your background that got you here because you're, you're also a filmmaker. You write films. So I created the job that I wanted to have. Obviously, I'm a a prosecuting attorney, a trial attorney. I love that work. But in college, I majored in history and theater. So wait, did you do a law degree then after that, was it? Yes, then I went to law school and business school after that. So why did you do theater and history? Well, I had a background in theater. My mom's an actress. I've Ah. been acting since I was about Has she been anything famous? Um, She's done a lot of off-Broadway work. She did something with the Negro Ensemble Company. She's done a lot of documentary film uh, making and I needed to marry the creative arts with social justice. That's a tricky one folks. <laughs> <laughs> and so initially in my career I was doing... So um, did you actually when you got into law you had that ambition you said I need to also have an avenue for my creative... Oh definitely. Right. You have choices in life. Um, you have different paths you can take. Artists sometimes struggle until they make it financially and I didn't feel like I could struggle <laughs> financially yeah. and so I had to have a profession where I knew that I was going to have a steady paycheck so I, I said well after majoring in history and theater um, I, I have to go to law school I was interested in civil rights I was interested in social justice I always have been I used to take the food out of our house when I was a kid and bring it to the neighborhood kids and um, did that go down well with your mother no she wasn't happy about my (laughs) mother and father were like we are also struggling (laughs) to put food on the table stop taking the food out of the house Cheryl but when I saw people in need I just felt like you know there was something that I could do even even if it was to take the food out of our house so you know fast forward to um again I majored in history and theater then I went to law school then I started my job at the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities. Then I went to business school because I wasn't sure like exactly uh, which path my career was going to go into. And I'm like, I, need, I think I need to know something about business. I wanted to do entertainment law also. So tell me how many um, years you studied. A lot of years. Four years undergrad, three years law school, two years business school. Wow. Ten, it was nine a, years. <laughs> yes. So, but it was, you know, it was great. I got it out of the All early. of them, of course, really do... You can't get enough other subjects when you're a lawyer. Yes. It's one of those, know a lot about it, a little about a lot. A little about a lot, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but then um, with my job, it's like I spe- I was specializing in you know labor and employment law mm. and um, civil uh, rights and law enforcement. But I'm a bouncer. Like I need to do a lot of different uh, things. And my mind is always running. 
So after a couple of years, I was like, yeah, I like prosecuting cases, but this isn't it. I need to be doing more. Yeah. So I had to fashion the job that I wanted. Right. Because So I went into the supervisor and I was like, you know, I really love what I do. Like I, equality is important. Civil rights is important. I love my job, but I am bored because I need to be doing more. And initially what I heard was, Cheryl, you're here. You're hired as an attorney. You're here to do your cases. Relax. Do the cases. I was getting the cases done, and then I struck a deal with the director at the time. I was like, I'll get all my cases done, and when I'm done with my cases, then I can work on stuff I want to work on. And so finally, he he like you know broke down. He was like, Okay, sure, I'll fine. So then I like started writing grants, and I started doing education and outreach events, and racial profiling informational sessions, and going into schools and talking to kids about discriminatory bullying and how to protect themselves. And then I was able to buy a whole bunch of film equipment. And so then I started t- doing a documentary and interviewing right. complainants who, who had uh, gone to public hearing. And then I, we had this huge internship program. And so then I made these public service announcements. And then I got some kids in and actually had a film program inside of the commission, a documentary Great. filmmaking program in the commission where these, I'm calling them kids, but where these college uh, students would go out and like take footage and uh, we would use it for training. And then we started doing webinars. And in a nutshell, I created the job that I always wanted. Brilliant. I created the career that I wanted. After practicing law, you know, as a prosecuting attorney or trial attorney, Last year, I was promoted to deputy director great. of the agency. So, so that's I'm, one from the top? Yes, I'm deputy oh, executive director great, great. of the agency. I mean, I, I, we'll finish up now because that's just a great story to finish up. But I would say, and I just get your point of view, and like, in, to me, a huge lesson to, to push out from this podcast is the civil servant, the person who works for the government, on two levels. It's good that your director let you do that at the time because quite a lot of friends of mine are told, hey, you know, here's the pace we go at. No one rocks the boat. There's jobs for everyone, you know? And it's like you're not encouraged to be uh, creative, a maverick, put more in than you need to, just do any more hours than the hours that you're paid for. And it's really one of the biggest problems with civil service because it doesn't, it's a job for life. You get your thing, you got your union. You know, if one person, it's no all the way back to our opening about Rosa Parks, it's one person in, in in a place can spark enthusiasm and motivate people and by the way what you're actually saying is those people that you're all you know have a similar mindset they're enjoying their jobs more yes because they're putting more back in and they're there's more social interaction yeah definitely i can say when i wake up in the morning and i'm getting ready for work i am almost skipping through the house because i love my job that much like i feel so excited to go in and see what the day is going to bring and to see how we get one step closer to fairness and equality in this nation by what we're doing in this little state of Connecticut. It feels good. Like and How many years rewarding. has that been you've been doing that? So this is my 23rd year. That's a great place to end it. If someone in the civil service can still skip to work every day with enthusiasm, motivation. Cheryl Sharp, thank you very much for joining me on A Pint with Shawnee B. And uh, look after yourself and look after all of us. Huh? Yes, I definitely will. Thank you for the opportunity to be interviewed. This has been great.